We've got to continue talking about being thanks givers. We started this conversation last week where we uh, talked about what it means to be filled with gratitude and to combat and to push away all the other things that come when your heart is filled with ingratitude. Hopefully this week you were talking a lot and, and saying a lot of thanks and singing a lot of thanks. Uh, but uh, this morning we're going to continue that conversation and look at how you can continue to be uh, known as a thanksgiver even after the turkey and the stuffing and the pie and the cranberry sauce. Hmm, I, I still have fond memories of those on Thursday. Anyway, even after all those things have been put away, how you can still be filled with thanksgiving. Let me pray right now for our offering, and uh, we'll continue just a minute in worship. Father, we do give you thanks and praise as we're going to look at this morning. You are the one who has given us all the good things in this life. And so now, Lord, as a, as a moment in our worship, as an expression of our worship and our gratitude, we give back to you. We give to the church so that we can help and bless and serve other people, Lord. There are many in this community who are alone and afraid, who are overwhelmed and having trouble overcoming different things. Many in this community that have never heard about Jesus, never heard about your love for them, your plan and purpose for them, God, your, your eternal hope and destination for them. And so we pray that, that this gift that we give to you, an expression of gratitude, will be used to bring many to faith and to bless and serve and save many in this community. Make it so now. Uh, we worship you through the tithes and offerings of this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Father, we want to be in your presence. That is our, our ultimate desire. And if it's not, Lord, I pray that you will make that our ultimate desire because in your presence, God, are all the things that we hope and long for and need. We just want to be with you. And so now we enter into a time of study. We look into your word, Father. We believe that you speak through it still. We believe that the Bible has a, has a unique way to draw us closer to you. And so would you bless this time now where we look at your word and uh, try to be with you and, uh, and just spend a few minutes at your feet in your presence. Make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a few years ago in New York City, a large company moved into a brand new skyscraper. But wouldn't you know it, the builder of the skyscraper did not put enough elevators in the building. True story. 
So a lot of the employees were disgruntled and angry because there were long waits for the elevators. You can imagine the beginning of each workday, the end of each workday. So the executives of the company put together a little task force, a little team of employees to figure out if they can't uh, or to see if they couldn't figure out and solve this particular problem. Well, the task force came up with four possible solutions. Number one, speed up the elevators and arrange for them to automatically stop at certain floors during rush hour periods. I'm not sure how fast. It would be like, ready for warp speed, right? (laughs) Maybe not that quick, but a little faster than normal. Number two, stagger working hours on different floors to reduce the demand of the traffic. Number three, build a brand new elevator shaft in the building. Or number four, install some mirrors around the entrances to each of the elevators. Now, the last option seems rather odd, but the company actually chose to go, go with option number four, and they put in the elevators, or the, uh, the mirrors around the elevators, and it actually worked perfectly. No more angry or disgruntled employees. Why, you might ask? Well, according to one of the executives, people became so preoccupied with looking at themselves in the mirrors, they no longer noticed the lengthy wait for the elevator. So church, you'll notice here at West Bowles, we've installed some mirrors around each of our elevator doors. Uh, who's been in an elevator here at West Bowles, the elevator that we have? Let me apologize on behalf of the elders and staff for robbing you of several days of your life. Uh, that is the slowest elevator in all of West Denver. I'm convinced of it. I'm not sure even mirrors would help us uh, to solve that But in all seriousness, what was true for the folks in that skyscraper is also true for each and every one of us. What we focus on greatly affects how we feel. What we focus on greatly affects how we function. What you focus on determines and shapes and almost dictates how you feel and respond and see and handle different situations and hardships. It could be a slow elevator, a sick child, even the loss of a job. It's all about your focus. What are you focusing on? What are you looking at? And you have to understand that truth. You have to keep that truth firmly in mind if you ever expect or hope to live out the words of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. They say this, rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I find these verses to be some of the more difficult, if not some of the most difficult, in all of Scripture. Sure, they make for a nice little wall hanging you can buy at a craft fair, or you can put them in your Christmas card, and it looks and sounds pretty there at the bottom. But honestly, take a look at what these words are asking us to do. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. My response to that is, Are you serious? Are you serious? Always, continually, all? Really? I mean, how is that even possible? I'm not sure that it is. Many of us can relate to uh, the exasperation and the frustration of the folks in the following pictures. Hopefully we have those pictures up. Does it look, look promising? Maybe. I was shown these pictures a few weeks ago, and I think you'll get a kick out of them. A car fell off the dock 
overseas somewhere. What do you do when a car falls off a dock? Well, you get a little crane to pick it up. But what happens when that little crane falls off the dock? Well, naturally, you get a bigger crane to come in and lift it all up. But what happens when the big crane falls off the dock? But life often looks and feels a lot like that, doesn't it? And when your life feels like it's fallen off the dock, the words rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, they seem a tad bit out of place. I mean, when life falls off the dock, when the divorce is finalized, when you unexpectedly lose your job, when the cancer is stage four, the words of Paul there in 1 Thessalonians 5, they sound silly, if not absurd, and completely unreasonable. And yet there it is, the, the command. Not the suggestion, not the recommendation, not the proposition, but the command to have joy and peace and gratitude in every situation and throughout every season of your life. And need I remind you that the one who originally penned these words did not do so while sitting poolside, sipping some margarita, watching his stocks rise. He wrote these words while sitting in a prison cell, rotting away, facing his own imminent death. Yet in that moment, in that cell, he was still able to not only talk about gratitude, but to give and express gratitude. And then he challenged us to do the same. But how? I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, thanking God for the good things in our life, that seems easy and natural, and that makes sense to us, right? It seems appropriate. But given the pain and the problems that are a part of our world, let alone a part of many of our lives, giving thanks, it seems odd. It seems illogical. At best, it seems downright naive and idiotic at worst. Give God thanks for this? I don't think so. When everything falls off the dock... And nothing seems to be going like you hoped or planned on. How do you still say thanks? How do you still have gratitude? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with one little word that Paul uses in that passage. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, Give thanks in every circumstance. He doesn't say for every circumstance. You with me? If there were ever two little letters or a little two-letter word that made all the difference in the world, it was now in this passage. Give thanks in every moment, in every season, in every situation, but not necessarily for every moment or situation. The Lord is not commanding us to thank him for the pain or the heartache or the loss that many of us have experienced this last year. He doesn't expect us to say, thank you, thank you so much for hurting me. If I was like spanking one of my daughters and all today turn around and says, Thank you, Daddy. Thank you for that. Like, what is wrong with you right now? He doesn't say, Thank you for, for taking this away from me, Lord. Thank you for teaching me a difficult lesson. Thank you for making me walk down this lonely road. Thanks for that. No, we say thanks for nothing. I think the Lord is okay with that because we don't have to thank Him for everything, but we are commanded to thank Him in everything. That word in makes all the difference. If this is hard for you to grasp, still uh, just think about the example of Jesus. We don't hear him thanking God for the cross or the abandonment or the shame that he was going to experience or did experience through all of that. We actually see him begging 
for those things to be taken away from him. He's asking for all those things not to come to fruition. But in multiple places, we read that Jesus still had a grateful heart in those moments. He still expressed genuine gratitude through all of that. I mean, if Hebrews 12 doesn't knock you back, I'm not sure anything will. Look at this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Let me say it one more time. For the joy set before him, he went through everything that he went through. Did you think, what joy? There was no joy in that moment. You read the story of the passion, you watch the movie, you go through Good Friday services, there's no joy in that. What are you talking about? What joy? Not only was Jesus' life falling off the dock, his life was about to be taken away from him on a cross. For the joy set before him? But it seems as if Jesus, he was focused. He was so focused on certain things that even though everything else was haywire around him, he was so focused on the joy set before him, the joy of you being with him someday, the joy of him bringing humanity back to the Father, the joy of him making all things new. He was set and focused on that joy, and so it made everything else he was in possible to give thanks for. You with me? And like Jesus, if we ever expect to rejoice always, pray continually, or give thanks in all circumstances, we're going to have to be focused as well. you got to stay focused if you want to be someone like that who expresses a costly form of gratitude, a form that doesn't come easy or natural to us. And so this morning, I want to help you focus on two things. Unlike the people in the skyscraper, I don't want you to be focused on yourself. Okay, That doesn't really help. It might distract you from a slow elevator, but looking at the bald white guy in the mirror, it doesn't help me a whole lot get through hard times. Okay, We've got to remain focused on two other things. I want you to remain focused on the good things God has given to you in this life and the God who has saved your life. Let's kind of focus in on them now together. An article in Reader's Digest recently grabbed my attention. It fits perfectly given the holidays are coming up. It was entitled, What Not to Buy Your Wife for Christmas. The author went on to say this. Shopping for your wife is one of the most difficult pursuits in all the world. It's right up there with solving the national debt or the problem of global warming. Many a man has made a fool of himself based on a poor present decision. So here, men, are the things you should never buy your wife. Number one, don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything with a cord, although helpful around the house, is sure to put you in the doghouse. Don't buy clothing that involves sizes. You have a one in 7,000 chance of getting her size right. And she will be offended the other 6,999 times. Do I look like a size 16, she'll say? Too small a size doesn't cut it either. I haven't worn a size 4 in 20 years. Don't buy jewelry. The jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford. <laughs> and the jewelry you can't afford, she doesn't want. And finally, don't spend too much. How are we going to afford this, she'll ask. But spend too little, and she'll say, is that all I'm worth to you? <laughs> and all the men said, amen. Right? Thank you. 
Thank you. But you see, ladies, giving you a good gift, it's like an act of God. But you see, what's interesting is God is the one who gives good gifts. It's hard for us men to do that for you, ladies, but it's not hard for God. It's not hard for him to give anybody a good gift. It's that, in fact, that's what, he, that's what he's known for. It's what he specializes in. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, from your Father in heaven. That means everything you've ever been given, everything you've ever received on holidays or throughout the week, everything you actually ever purchased, everything you've earned, everything you have in your life, every good thing, every good gift, it's from the Lord. I love how Paul says it in Romans eleven thirty six. 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. All things. So that breath you just took, it was a gift from the Lord. That's why Kim sang that song. It's your breath in our lungs. It truly is a gift from him. Now that breath you just took, it's only one of 23,000 you are going to take today. But all 23,000 are truly a gift. That cup of coffee you had this morning... That was a gift from the Lord. And all the caffeine addicts said, yes, sir, hallelujah, right? That set of golf clubs in your garage or two or ten that you have, it's a, that's a gift from the Lord. Your job, your home, your physical strength, your family, your favorite cookie, your favorite Christmas movie, the feeling you get when you ace a test, score a bucket, catch a fish, sunsets, lightning storms, snow-capped mountains, they're all from God. Every single one of those good gifts has been given to you from above. Last week we sang that song, You're a Good, Good Father. You know why we sing that song? Because he is. That's who God is. We're not telling him anything he doesn't know. We're telling each other something that we tend to forget. He is a good, good father. And he delights in giving his children good, good gifts. When was the last time that you truly thanked him for any of those gifts? Or maybe all of those gifts. When was the last time you ate a meal and you truly thank God for provision, for taste buds, for the gift of green chili? When was the last time you sat on your couch and you thank God for rest, relaxation, a comfy old recliner? When was the last time you knelt at the end of your children's bed and while they were sleeping you thanked him for their health? their joy, their energy, their excitement, their life. The Lord has given every single good gift you have to you. It's all from him. Have you ever received an anonymous gift from somebody? Maybe it was like a secret Santa thing, or maybe you received a card in the mail with, with no name on it, a package with no sender or return information on there. I don't know about you, but that kind of excites me. I'm like, ooh, who's this from? But then I get super frustrated by it. Because I'm like, no, who is this from? I demand to know. See, when I receive a gift, especially one of great value, I feel the need to, I almost feel compelled to say thank you. Don't you? When you receive a gift, you want to, you need to say thank you to somebody. And when you don't have anybody to say thank you to, it kind of robs the whole experience. It, it just makes it less than what it should be. That's one of the things that frustrates me about atheism is when you don't believe in a God, when you don't believe in a creator, 
You have no one to say thank you to when you receive all the good gifts you receive in this life. I mean, you're forced more or less just kind of toss out your thanksgiving to good luck. Thank you. Good luck. Maybe you just toss it out to good fortune. Thank you. Good fortune. Maybe you're just thanking goodness in general. Like, thank goodness. Thank you, goodness. Truly, as an atheist, who you have to thank is chance, randomness, and cell mutation. Go ahead and offer your thanks up to those things. Thank you, cell mutation. That seems kind of odd, and it is. You don't thank good luck. You don't thank good fortune. You don't thank goodness. You thank the good Lord because it's he who gave you the gifts. And you see, all of the good gifts that God has given to you, he has not given to you, not given them to you anonymously. He wants you to know it's him because he wants you to know him. He wants you to thank him because your life will be drastically different when you do. That's what James is trying to get us to see and get us to do when he says every good gift is from the Father, even if you don't realize it, even when you don't stop and give him thanks for it. The good things you have in life, They're from him, him alone. Psalm 103 is a powerful psalm where the psalmist kind of goes through their life and and there's this laundry list of blessings they have received from the Lord. I encourage you even this week, read through Psalm 103 and personalize it, kind of make your own list of what God has done for you. But look at how he starts the psalm. It says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, my soul. But then he says something very interesting, and he says this, and forget not all of his benefits. And forget not. Now, I have to think that right before he starts listing off all the great gifts he's received from the Father, he says, forget not, because what do we tend to do? Forget. We tend to forget, don't we? With all the demands and deadlines, problems, pressures, bills, burdens, all the things that we face, we forget. We lose sight of the good gifts and the good God who sent them to us. We start to focus on what we don't have, what we wished we had, what other people have. But we have to focus. Church, we have to focus. Focus on the good gifts you've received from God. Everything from the small things in your life to the spectacular things in your life. If you are focused on those things, I can guarantee you, You'll start to live out 1 Thessalonians 5. You will start to rejoice always, pray continually, and be grateful in every circumstance. Last week, we gave you a chance to remember the Lord's benefits, remember his blessings. We went around and asked you, what are you thankful for? Here's what you said. Watch this. That's a hard question. (laughs) There's too much I'm thankful for. Um, I mean, first, obviously, my relationship with God. For my toys. Family. Everything. My family supporting me through everything. New season of Gotham came on Netflix, and I'm really thankful for that. That I get the chance to get up each day. I'm thankful for Jesus. And donuts. Well, first and foremost, I'm thankful for my family. 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 (laughs) My family. (laughs) Family. Nothing. (laughs) And Riley is spoiled. I'm thankful for my bunny. I'm thankful for school teachers. And my church. Just all the stuff God does. My church. This church and the choir. This church and everybody that's in it. Well, I was thankful to be here today. My family, good health, and Jesus Christ. My cat and my dog. Thankful for this guy. 
healthy grandchildren and for church? Jesus, there's the answer. My friends and my family. My health, I have a cold, but <laughs> I'll get better. So what's the question? My family. 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 Oh, family. Family and good health. Not the family. Pretty much all the things, like just the food. William wants the food. What for a lot for? of things. <laughs> Our family, the church. Everything we have in the Lord. Just to be here, because this is fantastic. Teddy bear. Cookies and race cars. To be able to sit with this group of men and... Uh, and have great fellowship. I mean, the youth group here, the kids, uh, my girlfriend. Um, sorry, John. I could grow an amazing beard. Friends. Friends that have helped me through a very difficult year. I'm thankful for my dad and mom. Family. Thankful for family. Wonderful, supportive friends. Family. Probably this year, I'm so thankful for my health. My brother. Your brother? Mm -hmm. What are you thankful for? TV. I'm so thankful God gives us this opportunity to work with these young kids to help them learn about God's love. I'm thankful for that, too. My family. Probably my sister. My family. And my cat, Jinx. That's my friend. Jesus. Food. All four of my sisters. Family and friends. My family and the Lord. Life and my family. Jesus. That I know the Lord, and he's my everything. The Lord who saved me. Thank you for our church. I mean, the, the body of Christ. Being able to be go to school. My new job is a teacher of music and drama. I'm thankful for opportunities to serve. Just about everything. I am. My relationship with God. I'm just thankful to continue to be able to sing in choir. Family. For the 200 plus volunteers that help run this children's ministry. I'm just thankful for being alive. I'm thankful also for health. Living in Colorado. Do you ask us or do we just answer? Being included in this church. Relationship with the Lord and for my family. Turkey. That God loves me and takes care of me and forgives me because I need that. Being able to serve in the children's ministry. Oh, we're going? <laughs> church. My family and freedom. My niece, Grace. I'm thankful for my mom coming to church with me today. My family. Probably my family and my hair. A awesome family and dogs. My husband had a stroke a week ago and he's okay and God is healing him and just very blessed. Thank you Johnny for putting that together. Thank you for answering. Cookies and race cars, brothers and TV, hair. Hair. It's a low blow Mr. Gothier, a low blow. But you see, church, even though Thanksgiving has come to an end, the thanks you should be giving to God should not. Being a thanksgiver is something that we as believers do every day, not just on Turkey Day. Even when things don't go our way, even when things turn sour, even when things fall apart, when they fall off the dock, there's still a lot to thank God for. I mean, maybe your life right now looks and feels like a, like a cheesy country song. Right, maybe your boss fired you, your wife left you, your truck died on you, and your dog won't even look at you. But even in those moments, there are, there are still things, aren't there? There are still good gifts that you have been given from God. A Puritan preacher named Matthew Henry was robbed one day in London. Years later, after he passed away, they found his diary. And they found an excerpt written the day after the incident. Here's what he said. Lord, I give you thanks 
and ask that you'll help me to be thankful. First, because I've never been robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Third, because although they took everything I owned, it wasn't that much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who was forced to rob another. Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? You've been sick this last year. Well, thank God you haven't been sick up until this point. Thank God for the times you've had. Thank God for doctors and caregivers. Thank God for medicine. You've been alone this year. Thank God that you know what it feels like to not be alone. Thank God that you get to be with him. Thank God that there will be a season when you're not alone anymore. Right? There are so many things to thank him for no matter what happens, no matter how many times or things fall off the dock. You can still give thanks. And if you're focused on those things, if you zero in on those things, you can rejoice always. You can and will pray continually. And you can give thanks in every circumstance. But according to Jesus, in addition to focusing on that, he also wants us to focus on this. In addition to focusing on the things that God has given us in this life, he wants us to stay focused on the fact that he has saved our lives. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends 72 of his closest followers out to go and try this stuff themselves. It's a day when the training wheels come off for the disciples. And most of us tend to think, oh no, turn away, don't look at the horrific accident that's about to happen. Things actually turned out pretty well for them. Now look at what he says, Luke 10, 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. In other words, things went pretty well that day. The 72 come back and they tell Jesus, guess what? It works. All the things you taught us, all the things you showed us, it actually works. Imagine that. And Jesus responds by saying, yeah, I knew it would work. And he goes on to say, you ain't seen nothing yet, though, boys. Just wait. But then in verse 21, we read this. Jesus went on to say, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is more or less telling his followers that they shouldn't base the entirety of their gratitude on what God has given to them, but on what God has done for them. Everything else, however good or godly it is, it's temporary, it's fleeting, but your eternal security, your eternal destination, that's not. So base your gratitude and stay focused on the fact that the God who rules over the heavens and the earth will welcome you into heaven once you leave the earth. You with me? Focus in on the fact that the God who rules over the heavens and the earth will welcome you into heaven when you leave this earth. That's what it means to have your name written in heaven. I got a little taste of this last year. We were given some tickets to a Rockies game. Uh, some friends asked if we wanted to use their tickets one night to see a game. We were like, sure. But these weren't just any old tickets. These were like lower level, super important and posh, way above my pay grade as a pastor kind of tickets. I knew we weren't in Kansas anymore when my friend said, and you got to go in a secret entrance. I'm like, hmm, tell me more. So, we go to a secret entrance. We hand over our tickets to a guy, I kid you not, wearing a black suit, 
who opens up a black book. He peruses through it and he says, your name's not in here. I quickly tried to think of all the different aliases I've used throughout my life. I realized I don't have any. Thomas Charles Fitzpatrick? Nope, not in here, he said. Well, it turns out my friend shared his tickets with somebody else, and someone had already claimed the tickets for that night. So I went from feeling like royalty to feeling like a complete loser very quickly. Well, long story even longer. My friend felt horrible, so he gave us a few more tickets for a few weeks later. So we tried it all over again. There's that secret gate with the guy wearing the black suit holding the black book again. I'm like, you. He says, you. No, actually, he, did. he didn't recognize me at all. But. but this time, he takes the tickets and he says, Thomas Fitzpatrick, come on in. Now, I don't want to brag or anything, but I'm going to. I have never had a more outlandish experience in all of my life. Upon entering the stadium, we were escorted to an all-you-can-eat buffet. I mean, steak, lobster, creme de la creme. It's not like hometown buffet, okay? It's not soup plantation. This is like Ritz-Carlton, like big time. From there, we're escorted down the corridor that the players take to enter the stadium. We pass the locker room to our seats, which just happened to be right next to the Rockies dugout. Here's, here's where we were sitting. There was nobody between me and everybody else playing on the field. Here's a picture of Bailey. We were handed balls by Tulo. I mean, it was incredible. And to top it all off, the 30 people or so that were sitting in that section, and you know the section, because when you and I normally go to a game, it's that section you look down on, you're like, I hate you people. <laughs> like, how do you even get down there? Secret gate. 30 people in that section, they had access to a free, all-you-can-eat concession stand. Normally at a ball game, Bailey's like, can I get popcorn? I'm like, nope, too expensive. Ice cream, no chance. But this time I was like, go back, go. Why are you not eating more of this? I mean, I probably look like a kid on Christmas Day, my hat on backwards, a ball in hand, ice cream down my shirt. <laughs> too low, that's too low. Anyway, here's the thing, church. It all came down to whether or not my name was in that book. When it wasn't in there, I had to pay for and eat overpriced hot dogs in the nosebleed section. I missed out on the experience of a lifetime. But when my name was in the book, I experienced something that I never will in this lifetime. And as great as that day and as great as that experience was, church, it fails miserably in comparison to what is going to happen and, going to, uh, and what lies in store for us in heaven. Next year on Easter Sunday, we're going to start a, ser a sermon series on heaven. Because I don't believe that we as Christians talk about or think about or look forward to that place enough. What was true for me at Chorus Field that day will be true for all of us when we stand before Christ on our last day. To get into heaven, your name has to be on the list. Your name has to be written in that book. If you've ever tried to get into a fancy restaurant or like a, a new nightclub, I said nightclub in first service, they were like, mm, well, anyway. If you ever tried to get into something new and exciting where there was a long line, you walk up and you didn't have reservations, you know exactly how awkward it is to be dismissed, don't you? Sir, you have any reservations tonight? 
No, I didn't know we needed any. Well, you do. Bye-bye. But God doesn't want to say that to anyone. He doesn't want to send anyone away. He doesn't want to turn anyone away. He wants everyone to experience life on the other side. That's why he sent Jesus. When you call out the name Jesus as your Lord, he takes your name and he puts it in heaven. You with me? When you call out the name of Jesus on the earth, he takes your name and he puts it in heaven. Throughout the scripture, we read about something called the book of life. Call it heaven's reservation list, if you will. But only those whose names are in that book will come in and get to live with God. And even after the disciples had just done all these amazing things, even after they had just casted out demons and healed people and preached the gospel and saved lives, even after all the things they had just done for God on the earth, Jesus says, that fails in comparison to what God has in store for you in eternity. You stay focused on that, disciples. I'm interested in all the things that are happening down here, but I want you to be interested in all the things that are going to be happening up there. You with me? That's where he wants his focus. That's where he wants our focus to be. It's not about what you have here. It's not about what you can do here. It's not about the influence that you exert here. It's about living in light of the fact that Jesus wrote your name up there in heaven. And not only will you be welcomed into that place, but there will come a day where you will be ushered into that place. And I can guarantee you that heaven's concession stand will blow away Coors Field's concession stands. But if we don't stay focused on that truth, if we don't live out the words uh, of Jesus, to stay focused on, on eternity and focused on the fact that God has saved our lives, we'll never be able to live like Jesus or to live out the words in 1 Thessalonians 5. We've got to stay focused. We've got to stay focused on the fact that doing things for Jesus on the earth fails in comparison to sitting with Jesus in eternity. We have to stay focused on the fact that singing praises about God fails in comparison to singing praise directly to God and in the presence of God. We have to stay focused on the fact that casting out demons and working to undermine the effects of sin on the earth fails in comparison to living in the company of angels in a place where there is no sin. You've got to be focused on that. That's what heaven will be like. And when he proclaims your name as Lord, he, or your, I just butchered that. When you proclaim his name as Lord, he will proclaim your name in front of his father, he says. He will proclaim your name. He'll put your name on that list in that book in heaven itself. And unlike me on my second go around at Coors Field, you won't have to worry or wonder how it's going to work out. You can know with absolute certainty, not hope or expect or believe there's a strong likelihood, but you can know that when you stand at the gates of heaven itself, your name will be on the list and you'll be welcomed in. When you focus on that, praying continually, rejoicing always, and giving thanks in all circumstances. It's possible, isn't it? It's possible. So you got to focus, guys. If you want to live out the words of 1 Thessalonians 5, you have to focus. If you want to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, focus. 
And don't focus on the elevator or, the, or the, the picture in the mirror. Don't focus on those things. Focus on two things. Focus on the good gifts you've received from your Father in heaven. And focus on the fact that one day you'll be with him in heaven. You focus on that. And you can live out 1 Thessalonians 5 and a lot more. I'm going to ask Kim to come on back up. She's going to lead us in a few more songs this morning as we close. Uh, the first song she's going to sing might be a new one to you, but it powerfully, pro- powerfully proclaims this idea that we can thank him no matter what. Even when life looks and feels worse than the whole dock situation, even when it's all falling apart, you can still thank him for that. And during that song or after that song, she has a few more for us. But when those songs are being sung and when you are participating in that, if you want to come and find me, or we're going to have some Stephen ministers down front, if you want to just pray because life is hard right now and you're not feeling real grateful, then we want you to come down during those songs, during the next 15 minutes or so, and just receive some prayer. Talk to us about the things that are happening in your life, the way that your life's falling off the dock. Just come and let us pray over you, encourage you, help you to lift your eyes and focus on the good gifts. Come and receive some prayer to become a greater thanksgiver. Or on the other end, if you cannot say with absolute certainty that your name is in that book, that your name is on that list, then you should not leave this morning without coming and finding one of the ministers to pray with. Because you can know this morning that your name is in heaven. The scripture says those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. And if you have never done that, Would you do it this morning? Leave this morning focused on the fact that no matter what happens down here, one day you will be with him up there. And you can know that with absolute certainty. So we pray for us now. And again, if you need encouragement, need some prayer, or want to confess Jesus as Lord, we'll have some Stephen ministers down front and in the back. Find one of them before you leave. Let's pray. God, the words of 1 Thessalonians 5 are difficult words. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in everything. Not only are those words difficult, Lord, but the example of Jesus is difficult because he modeled that and exemplified it perfectly for us. For the joy set before him, Lord, he endured the cross. Even while hanging on the cross, Lord, there was joy and gratitude in his heart, knowing that you were good and that your plans and purposes were good. And so we pray, God, that we will be like Jesus in that regard, that we will keep our focus on you as our good Father, as the giver of all the wonderful things we have in this life. As we walk out of this room today, may we thank him for our shoes, our socks, our belt, our sweaters, our hair, our friends, our family, our health, the meal we will eat, the car we get into, the home we sleep in, the talents, and skills that we have, the job that we have, the money that we receive, the opportunities. Lord, just help us to be thanking you in all things. All the good gifts in this life are from you. But even above and beyond that, Lord, I pray that this week and, and, and every week here out, we will be focused on the fact that our names are written in heaven. Lord, nothing on this earth should, should sway or stop us from giving thanks because our names are written in the book of life in eternity itself. And so we have nothing to worry about. What are you going to do? Kill me? Well, my, my name is written in the book of life. I have reservations up there. And it's only a matter of time before I'll be there. And so God, I pray that we will be focused on that as your people. Will we be extravagant thanksgivers as we focus on our good gifts and our good God. We love you. And we sing these praises to you now as 
a small expression of that thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.